0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission.
1: Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLe
2: Unfortunately, for technical reasons, part of tonight's midweek motorsport isn't available in the podcast form. The missing section consisted mainly of myself and Nick Damon discussing Formula One. Uh, we hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the show
0: the world's longest running
3: Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, I've got to be honest this is one midweek motorsport and I don't actually know what time it is because I'm on the Rensport 6 to PLM run in the Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo uh, Turbo SE Hybrid, uh, so I'm on the road at the moment, uh, not going to tell you exactly where I am. Uh, But suffice to say that we've been doing uh, a little bit of a run through some of our favourite musical uh, places or at least places with uh, musical connections uh, to this show and uh, to some of my favourite ever musical artists. Uh, More on that later in the show, but let's get up and over, from my perspective, to Tim Gray. Uh, On a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what?
2: We have all the usual features, including uh, news. Uh, we'll have some special guests. We'll have our regular contributors, including Nick Damon.
4: Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, hello,
2: Nick. When John said uh, musicals, did, did yes. that suggest to you that he might be in Oklahoma.
4: Well, there was a number of places he could have been. I thought, has he gone to the uh, you know the uh, the Black Hills of Dakota, for example? Um, Ooh, you know, yes. in, fact, it's very, in, fairness, in fairness to the people who are trying to work out how many miles he's done, there's probably virtually about three towns in the whole of the US that's not featured in a major song at some point.
2: Yes. Uh, when I was uh, in the States a few weeks ago to go to the Grand Prix of Portland, I uh, actually looked for songs that had Portland in their name, and there were several of them. I, really? Yeah. One of them's all right. 24
4: Hours from Portland?
2: Oh, he could be in Tulsa, 24 hours from Tulsa. I mean, that's if you were right. 24 hours from Tulsa, you could be pretty much anywhere on Earth, couldn't you?
4: Well, these days, yes. I mean, he could be in a Voxal Viva in Las Vegas.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's definitely going to be in Las Vegas tomorrow, because that's where tomorrow night's uh, Hinde's Road Trip episode comes from. Uh, tonight's is from Fresno in California. Uh, so, but that was pre-recorded. Uh, so, who knows where he is now? Uh, anyway, uh, packed show Rain tonight. He's wearing a red,
4: white striped top.
2: Lots of. Uh, a hat. Lots of people uh, joining us uh, as part of tonight's show. Nick is just one of them. We're going have Kerry Cobb to talk about his British superbikes. Crailzie uh, will be here with a little preview to the Bathurst 1000km, which is this weekend. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a bit from Declan Brennan. And hopefully a bit from Johnny Palmer as well. Uh, let's take a look at your tweets. Michael Denny says, Back home and packing for a trip to Barcelona this weekend. No, please don't play that song. Okay. Uh, right think- turn lover, standing by for Mid-Desert Motorsport uh, with a lovely uh, gift there of Priscilla, uh, from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Uh, Adrian Michael Reese, Two weeks of being at home just before 8 o'clock. Uh, Rob Jane, apologies for missing tonight's show. Uh, I'll be trying to fix something that isn't broken. Hashtag F1 qualifying. Uh, more on that later. Uh, Chris Zuko, evening all back on normal time. Once again, apologies for absence. He's had a business dinner. Uh, Sarah Rigby, she is home now, so that's fine. Uh, Adrian Michael Rees says, I'm not going to tell you where I am. Narrowing it down somewhat, which states is it legal to introduce a podcast and drive at the same time? Well, he was using hands-free and his Bluetooth, so uh, I'm pretty sure that everywhere. Uh, Dave Alcock, will John be hosting midweek motorsport from the cab of the Panamera Sport Turismo this evening? Uh, he did start that, yes. Uh, plenty more tweets. Uh And uh, we'll be looking at some of those again later on in the show. But let's get started with the news.
5: All the latest motorsport news
0: from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: He's been immortalised in song by artists ranging from Billy Joel to Texas Midnight Runners. But on Sunday, he ripped up the Superbike history books, becoming the winningest rider in the World Championship and equal championist rider. Uh, we are talking, of course, about Johnny Ray.
4: Indeed. Poor old, who has uh, now won eight, on the row, sorry, eight races in a row and now has four championships in a row. And as you say, quite rightly, Tim, is the winningest driver and now the equal most podiuming driver ever, rider, sorry, ever in World Superbike history. And a jolly nice chap, though apparently, according to Gregorio Lavilla, not exciting enough.
2: Uh, indeed not. Uh, he's been uh, on pretty much every TV and radio uh, station in britain today good uh, he, it. But he won't be on ours uh, sadly, <laughs> we, we've got to ask because we didn't ask um
4: I'm sure, we can, I'm sure we can sort that out you know
2: some of the revelations we've had he's jolly nice some of the revelations we've had uh include that he uh, doesn't uh, ride a motorbike when he's at home because he doesn't have a license
4: there's quite a lot of motorcycle racers who who don't have motorcycle road licenses because they think it's a foolhardy and insane venture to go out on a motorcycle on the, in, in the British public roads and sometimes I agree with them
2: uh, and yet they're quite willing to go wheel to wheel with
4: uh, all the traffic's going the same direction that is true and outside of the Isle of Man all the road furniture has been removed as well
2: yes no signs that you could hit uh, hopefully you've seen these uh, races from the weekend tell me what happened apart from Johnny Ray winning
4: he won and in the second race, he started from ninth and he won and he was second. Um, realistically, Corps, which is a great track, a great, it's a pity it's in the middle of nowhere because it's by far the best circuit in France. Um, uh, much better than the multicoloured Stripes of Doom we have to race around at uh, Paul Ricard. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think there wasn't really a lot to report because he's kind of done that thing where he's completely beaten everyone into mental um, submission? Um, and uh, he, he he won the first race. Um, it, the, the reverse, he prepared Tom Sykes and Jamie Forrest, uh, and then he won the second race as well. Um, ahead of Chaz Davis and Marco Van Der Mark. So that's kind of the the collection of people who have, on the whole, been been following him. But it's a uh, you know I was just, just checking back on the records and say he has now won eight on the spin. That's four rounds in a row. Um, and. Uh, yeah, apart from me, uh, oddly the British round, which is the one round where he had a bit of a, a nightmare, um, he is he is really I, I only missed those two races where he hasn't won since the second round, well at least one of them from the second round. He won 14 now this season, and it's a, just a remarkable performance because what you have to remember, Tim, is that over the winter, uh, the FIM and uh, Dorna decided the one thing they had to make sure they could do was to try and it's an absolutely stymie uh, Kawasaki. So they, compl- they, they, they took about fourteen hundred revs off it. They, they put all sorts of um, uh, limitations on the electronics as well. And you know, we had the first race of the season all those months ago um, in, uh, Aust- um, in Aust- yeah, Aust- Australia, Australia of course, uh, back at, yeah, twenty fourth of February, and that was a, a one a win for Marco Melandri in both races, and Mister J Ray only shows up once on the podium in second. Um, so, yeah, he started that way, I think, and then in the second round in Thailand, he managed to win one race but wasn't a podium, and, then, and they slowly crept up, and they and they put this all down to they had an in-season test, where they finally, because, it's interesting, I, 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 going back to, my, I don't know who I told you, but someone, you know how Red Bull are always moaning that they, yeah you know, if they had an extra 50 horsepower, they'd beat everybody?
2: Yes, they said that again at the weekend.
4: The problem is having extra 50 horsepower doesn't actually just mean you have more power because it affects everything else of the bike as well. So it affects you know having to set the car, the car up differently because you're going to use your rear tires differently, everything else. And what the Kawasaki team found was by losing 1,200 revs and therefore completely changing the power delivery characteristics of the, of the bike because they wouldn't just have you know, they wouldn't just have lost those 12 revs and not retuned it to give the power as much as they could up there in in those revs they had it completely upset the handling and so wasn't they got a chance to do a really good in-season test i think at Bruneau, that they kind of worked out how to set the bike up for the completely different power delivery they now have with a much narrower power range because of course these four cylinders um thousand cc bikes can probably rev to could probably rev about 19 20,000 revs if they wanted to um so it's, it's yeah, law of unintended consequences. It did take three or four rounds for the uh, Kawasaki team to sort it out. Um, with the situation that Tom Sykes was never really able to map any sort of challenge as Johnny Ray's teammate, and though kind of they actually fell out during the season quite badly. Um, Melandri did what we expected to win a couple here and be anonymous elsewhere, which is why he's been replaced by Alvaro Bautista going forward. Um, Chad Davis did what he does, which is win a few races, fall off in a few races, then hurt himself. Um, And we didn't see the improvement that FAM had hoped to see from the, um, certainly from the Aprilia's and the the Hondas. And to let's say Yamaha, who did pull themselves up by their bootstraps into kind of best of the rest after Kawasaki and and Ducati. But the the real thing is, if you look at it, it's just a complete masterclass by team and rider. And the thing is, however much you might not want johnny ray to win the problem is and i by that i mean the organizers he is the best for his generation he is a country mile better than anyone else out there and as has been said this week if the if the cards have felt 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 Fall in a different way he probably could do very very well in MotoGP as well but you know there's no incentive for him to go there now he wouldn't get a work spike and he's been paying very nice by Kawasaki for two more years to probably win two more championships and I think the other thing he's holding out for Tim is he There's a rumor or maybe a signed up deal that the two-year time race in 2020 will be at the new Northern Ireland circuit
2: uh, right Turn Lover says, uh, I'd venture to say that the bigger news than uh, Johnny Ray taking both races and the championship was that the weather at Manicor was not miserable. Uh, well, that's not fair because quite often Manicor has some races. lovely weather. I, I remember Formula One races in the early noughties that were uh, held in uh, brilliant sunshine. Admittedly, it was always June or July.
4: Mm. The only I think one thing I do make in all my years of travelling around to various races and various countries, many of them places that we consider, um, you know, a third world, you know, not quite of, of Western health hygiene stands, The only place I ever got really bad food poisoning was Maycor.
2: and it is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, also, right turn lover says hope speculatment's ride does not break down. He may have to resort to a midnight train to Georgia. Very that good. Feels, uh, very He's, good leaving. Yes. He's leaving. Yes. <laughs> And I'll be with him, except I won't. <laughs> you will, yes. though, won't you? You're going to Georgia.
4: I am going to Georgia. I didn't know that was common common knowledge. I'm, I'm going to be taking up the mantle of another, another petit Le Mans. Um Obviously, we've got, the boys will be at uh, the Creventic event at Spa, so then I think Joe and Di and uh, Johnny are going there. I well, know Johnny's and, not. Uh, Bruce yes, is I should going be over there. It's not. Bruce is going Johnny, okay so Johnny's I, got, and I'm the uh,
2: world endurance championship at Fuji that weekend.
4: Of course he has. Yes it's it's a busy weekend but I I got the very much the long straw because I love I love Atlanta, as anyone has, who who listens to this show for a while would know and I haven't been there for 7 years or so maybe 8 years now. So I get to be uh, I get to be uh, Shay's underling. And I, I have to listen to what she says because she's the incumbent. <laughs> uh, back
2: to World Superbikes. So, Jonathan Ray takes the title with 470 points. Uh, that's 135 clear of Chaz Davis. Uh, Michael with Van der another
4: 100 up to grab because there's four, yeah. four races to go, two rounds to go. And if he wins those four, he would win the most race in the season.
2: Ooh. Uh, Michael Van der Mark has third. Then, Tom Sykes, Melandry, Alex Lowe's, uh, Xavi Forres, uh, Eugene Laverty, Lorenzo Savadori. And uh, we have oh, the perfect. Turkish rider in tenth. <laughs> uh, I should have read that earlier.
4: Uh, yeah, it's like an eight, and finish line. And Eugene Daviti doing very well on the Aprilia, and then you can carry on. Uh,
2: indeed. Uh, what else do we know about World Superbikes? Uh, oh, we were going to talk about World Super Sport, weren't we? Because that's already been uh, that has not already been decided. Uh, we're going to talk about
4: Super Sport 300, aren't we? Isn't that, isn't that the big news?
2: World well, Super Sport 300. Go on, it's then.
4: big news. Because we have our first ever female world champion.
0: And in the Anaca- Anna
4: who won it by a point in an absolutely nail-biting race where um, Mika Perez, her uh, countryman and uh, uh, rival, um, had to win the race, and she had to... Uh, uh, and she was starting 25th had to score some points and scraped on the last lap into a i think a 13th place just get enough points and won it by one point in the end with 93 but it doesn't matter uh, how close it is. the fact is that anna the 21 year old is now the say the first female world champion which is fantastic it, it, yeah it's, it's great for opening doors and hopefully this will be a springboard for her you know into either into world super sport or possibly into um moto 2. And staying on two wheels,
2: British superbikes were in action, but not in Britain, as our <laughs> British superbike correspondent Kerry Cobb uh, will explain. Where were they this weekend?
5: Well, they all went off to Assen without me, Tim. Without (laughs) Um, you? Yeah, it was a bit gutting. I couldn't go, but I'll definitely make sure I go next year. But it's the the one round of the whole season where we go across the channel and everyone went across on the ferry. In fact, uh, apart from OMG Racing, who had a little flight over. But um, yeah, no, they all went over there. And uh, it was Leon Haslan that was the double Dutch champion.
2: But not such a good weekend for Jake Dixon.
5: No, Jake was Jake was gutted, but I mean, I don't know why. He's still riding so well, and it was sadly a mechanical failure that forced him to retire in lap 10 of race two. But we saw how good he was in race one. Um, you know, he finished 0.086 seconds behind Leon, so it was a really, really close-fought thing in race one, and as I say, mechanical failure in race two, and he was Obviously gutted, um, sixty-one points now as they head into the triple header at Brands Hatch, but you know it's still mathematically possible, and he still rides like the wind, so it's not over yet.
2: It, it's unlikely, though, isn't it, with such a big gap now and just those three Brands Hatch uh, finale races to come?
5: Yeah, but it's it's mathematically possible, and this is exactly what happened last season. I don't want to put the bogey on Leon because I. I hate to do this, but I'd love to see Leon win it. I'd love to see him go to World Superbikes with his first British Superbike Championship. Um, But this is exactly what happened last year. And he went to Brands Hatch. It was all but wrapped up that he was going to win. And uh, he didn't. So who knows? While it's still mathematically possible, you can't rule Jake out. He is such a great rider.
2: Uh, he did finish second in race one Uh, the other podium finisher there was uh, Taron McKenzie Uh, he had quite an exciting weekend didn't he
5: (laughs) now see I love Taz McKenzie he is absolutely brilliant him and his brother are just such great riders and yeah he did do really well in race one in race two there is a picture of him, if you get a chance to have a look on the British Superbike website, um, there's a picture of him and it looks like he's suspended in midair as he came off his bike and it was the same, it was the same corner where um, Dan Linford had come off and, and got like run over in the, uh, in the second lap. Three laps later, it happened to Taz McKenzie and this picture of him, he looks like he's suspended in midair as the bikes all literally rush around him. How they didn't hit him, I don't know. But, yeah, he made it through. And he is a great rider. He's definitely one to watch for next season. Uh,
2: Josh Brooks uh, got a podium finish in race two, uh, third in the championship, but now out of it.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I I love Brooksy. He's had a really good... He's had a really up-and-down season. And I, I just... I feel sad for him, actually. Just a couple of races didn't go his way over the season. Otherwise, he could have still been in there. But, you know, I did say to you, Tim, a couple of weeks ago, I felt it was going to be a straight double dogfight between Jake and Leon. And here we go in a week's time into Brands Hatch. And that's the way it's going to be. I can't wait.
2: A uh, bit of uh, news that's come out today about oh. British Superbikes. And uh, we reported last week that Glenn Irwin was leaving the B Wiser Ducati yeah. team to uh, head across Kawasaki as the replacement for Leon Haslam. Yeah. Uh but now we find out that Shaky Byrne won't be returning next season. And they have signed uh Moto Scott GP star Scott Redding.
5: Yeah, I think that's a great signing. I feel really sad that Shaky Byrne won't be back. Um but he'll be doing all his bit for Eurosport. So he's um he's gonna be keeping busy doing that, and I'm sure we'll see him around the circuits. But yeah, um scott redding brilliant in moto gp and i think it's the rumors have been circulating since the beginning of the summer actually when 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 shaky had his crash um but yeah it's going to be great i think he's going to be absolutely brilliant uh
2: now it's uh, almost a return home for scott reddings although he's never raced in bsb before he has raced for paul bird before hasn't he
5: he has indeed he's, he's he's known paul for quite a while um he wants to win and he want and he knows that paul bird wants to win and i think they they get on really well together he he back in the summer he he initially kind of dismissed this move he was he said he was concerned about the safety levels of some of our tracks um but he said um when paul bird came and spoke to him he changed his mind so yeah there's obviously a good relationship there so It'll be interesting to see, see how that pans out. It's going to be a big change for Be Wiser Ducati. Uh,
2: who are we going to see alongside him? Any speculation on that second seat?
5: Not at the moment, no. I, I, I haven't heard any rumours, but I'm sure when I get down to Brands Hatch next Friday, I'll probably hear a few, if, unless we already know by then.
2: And what about the rest of uh, the field? Because obviously... Uh, these big moves are going to cause a bit of a shake-up elsewhere, aren't they? So any other rumours you've heard about people moving or not moving?
5: Nothing that I can comment on at the moment. I can't give you any spoiler alerts yet. It's all going to go down to the wire at Brands Hatch. (laughs) That's me being diplomatic, Tim.
2: That's you not wanting to uh, tell me all the secrets you know. I I know that. Uh, (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you very much, Kerry. And uh, we'll speak to you again after Brands Hatch in a couple of weeks' time.
5: Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, guys.
2: Well, Nick Damon's still with us. Uh, and Super- I,
4: I, I am still with you, always with you.
2: Thai Superbike 1000cc national champion. Yes. Uh, Titi Pong warricorn
4: <laughs> Keep going.
2: We'll try to make the most of his knowledge of the buiram circuit when he uh, takes part in the Moto2 race uh, supporting this weekend's Moto GP <coughs> right. of so, Thailand. So
4: what was his name again?
2: Titipong Warakorn.
4: I, I know you should laugh at other people's names because they're in a foreign language. That one really does translate brilliantly. I wish Titipong all the success, though obviously at the end of the day it's Moto2 and that could be won by any one of 17 riders, whereas Moto GP will get what be won by Mark Marquez.
2: Is that for certain?
4: Do you know why? I'll put up, I'll, 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 I'll take that for ten pounds. Yeah. Oh, excellent.
2: Uh, Thailand uh, is getting quite excited about its MotoGP by the look of it. <laughs>
4: No, oh, I've seen quite a lot on my on my Facebook feed. I have a lot of um, I uh, say friends, people who follow through the RC because RC is very big in Thailand. Um, and there's a lot of posted pictures. There's all sorts of you know, Mark Marquez has been riding a RCV around the streets of, 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 of well, I said Bangkok. I probably isn't Bangkok. It's probably the, the town where the circuit is because it's not actually uh, near the uh, yeah, cause the is
2: Quite away from the uh, circuit, isn't it? Uh, from the from the capital.
4: Yeah, so he would be. It was quite a good shot, where he was just sitting down in his leathers, uh, eating some Thai street food. Um, So that's two massive risks: one going out on the Thai roads, and two eating Thai street food. But uh, I'm sure he'll be be fit in time for the race on uh, Sunday.
2: And do we know who's going to replace Scott Redding?
4: Uh, We do, and I've forgotten. I'm sorry, I haven't got my. I have not got my who's going where. Your Uh, list of
2: movements.
4: My list of movements for MotoGP, I do not have. But I, remember, I think this Scott Reading news is very interesting. Because he did say um, uh, pretty much when he knew he wasn't staying with the Priya that he didn't want to do British Superbike.
2: Yeah, as uh, Kerry alluded to, he said uh, uh, the circuits are too dangerous and some of the riders aren't very good.
4: Now he's saying it gives a chance for his fans to see him close up more often. Exactly. Or what he's actually saying is, I couldn't get the Moto2 ride and now I have large amounts of cash being thrown at me. I like money. <laughs> well, don't we all? Uh, yes. Well, I'm sure there's some sort of you know, um, people who don't like money who live in huts in, in some part of uh, you know, India. Uh,
2: indeed. Any other MotoGP news you want to on-pass to us?
4: On, not really. It's, 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 an, inter, it's an interweek. It's an inter-week. It I've, I've, I've had my concentration very firmly on, a, on another four-wheeled sport, which hopefully we're moving to next.
2: Uh, well, uh, the question I need to pose to you is, what were you doing 108 minutes ago?
4: At five,
2: par- at quarter past seven? That time. Then, yeah. Uh, uh, no, that's, uh, I no, have no idea six. why. What were you doing 108 hours ago? Well,
4: I don't know that either.
2: That would have been some point over the weekend.
4: Well, I was either racing radio-controlled cars, I went to see my mum, I was driving the Maserati Levante all weekend, and there's been real-world protest coming as soon as Tim edits out all my errs and ums from it. Um, it's becoming
2: and... a long process. <laughs> it may take me weeks.
4: <laughs> Go on, then,
2: tell me. Uh, what were you doing 108 days ago?
4: Oh. Uh, give me a date.
2: That, that would give it away.
4: Okay, I, I, you're, you're going somewhere with this. I I'm am. sure it's brilliant. I'm not sure what it is, though, so go for it.
2: 108 days ago, you were in the pit lane at Le Mans.
4: Was I? Okay, yes. right.
2: And uh, this week, we finally have a result from that race.
4: <laughs> oh, but yes, we do. We, we finally know who won LMP2. Um, though we did know anyway, because realistically, it was a slam dunk that the G Drive cars are going to get kicked out for fiddling with the fuel apparently that is now a lot more serious to fiddle with your fuel flow than it was in 1994 when it wasn't serious enough to have michael Schumacher and Benetton kicked out um of the world championship for one of their many many cheats they were doing that year
2: yeah but that was formula one and this is sports cars and they're different aren't they
4: i know because they got caught and they got kicked out and uh question is will trophies back um and poor old, seems that like Alpine didn't actually get to stand on... Well, more importantly, they give the watches back. Um, and seems that like Alpine didn't get actually to stand on the podium, but they have one and got the points as well, which is important.
2: What uh, can we learn from... Well, what can the ACO learn from this?
4: Oh, I don't know. Really. I mean, everyone's saying... <sighs> Do you mean to make their decision-making quicker?
2: Yes. Because
4: there needs to be a due process. So... I I am not aware of why a race in June with a I think the, I think the appeal was within fortnight at the end of the race wasn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know why it then took four months to 108 days, it used to be 100 days to come to a conclusion. But I'm sure there are reasons of due process and everything out due process why that happened. So I I I don't know if we need an accelerated function just because we don't like waiting. So I I think that everything needed to be seen. I think what might have been a good idea to be honest, is it was pretty obvious from the pit stop times that something odd was going on um, from the first stop. And the other teams were saying, the other P2 teams saying there's something odd going on. You kind of think it might be an idea for someone from the ACO to walk down and go, can you explain why your cars are refuelling for eight seconds faster than anyone else? And they could say, oh, we've, we've tampered with the rigs to make them quicker. And at that point, they could, have, they could have pulled the cars out yeah, and saved everyone some money and a waste of time. Because it wasn't like it wasn't a a bending of the rules, cheap um, interpretation, if you want to put it, that wasn't obvious. And, and, and the, you yeah, know, there was a lot of what the heck's going on faces being pulled from the rest of the P2 class. I'm pretty sure that what the heck faces were backed up by emails to uh, the scrutineers and whoever the WEC equivalent of Charlie Whiting is. Um, so they must have known there was a problem long before. It's got. You know, it's not like they've got an hour and a half to find out. They've got 24 hours to work it out. So they shouldn't have been sitting on the... They should have not been on the podium. Even if even they let them run, they should have been effectively running that race under suspension, effectively, from, uh, you know, under suspicion. And therefore, when we got to the end, the other, the, the other guys were on the podium and they would have been, um, you know, having to prove they're innocent.
2: Formula One. Hooray! Was, Brilliant. uh... I didn't watch it live. I watched it this Did afternoon. You? All right. Okay. Because um, I was busy on Sunday watching other motorsport, uh, which we'll come to later. Uh, mm-hmm. But it actually was a very exciting race, uh, certainly compared to the last year's Russian Grand Prix, which, yes, remember, the- was the dullest race ever. Tm ever.
4: There was a weird feeling about the entire event. The whole the whole event seemed incredibly low key. Um. Yeah, you even know, even Sky was struggling to big it up in the UK, and we had the the issues in you know in, where we knew that five cars were starting from the back. Rather unfortunately, four of them got into the second got in the second part of qualifying, uh, or three of them got into the second part of qualifying and didn't bother going out, and neither of the two Renault's either. So we had a elimination where no one was actually eliminated who we actually went on the track into the third part of qualifying. Um. And they had a very good lap from Valtteri Bottas and a slight mistake from Lewis, and they lined up one and two, but suddenly um, they were massively quicker than uh, Ferrari after being behind. So it all seems to have turned around again on these particular circuits. And so with, with Bottas starting first, it was the spectre of, of what's going to happen if, if he stays in the lead. And, and as the race unfolded, you said, Tim, it was a very interesting race to come from the back from, from Verstappen. We had uh the mercedes running in tandem we had uh, a slight mistake by mercedes which meant that uh vettel got back ahead of him after the um the pit stops we have one of the overtakes of the season which didn't get mentioned for some reason it's got completely lost in the noise that when lewis h- had to do it he did it he took he got past the only other car that is a serious rival to his in, those, in, in that environment and he effectively slammed dunk vettel back in it into it and and then bottas moved aside to let Hamilton win. And suddenly there's all the wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's like, I don't know about you, Tim, but I'd have been absolutely beyond gobsmacked if they hadn't done it. It was totally a no brainer to do. It's a team sport. That's what happens, but suddenly, oh no! Oh, it's won the wrong way. Oh, it's terrible, uh, you know. And I, th- I, I don't know what you thought, but I thought that's, but that's fine. That's what they should do. They should, they should leave here with a fifty-point lead, and then they, they, they need to win the championship. It's been close all along. There could be a DNF, you know, and it, suddenly it's close again.
2: If you remember last week's show, uh, <laughs> where we were talking about who might win, I said uh, Max Verstappen. Um, huh? And I was pleasantly encouraged when he had made his way up to 5th on lap 8, uh, having qualified 11th. Um, and and I was even more enthused when I uh, checked in later on, and uh, it was about lap 40, and he was leading. I am thinking, hey, this could actually, after thinking I had not a chance uh, of uh, getting this prediction right on Saturday after qualifying, I thought, maybe he can win. Uh, in the end he didn't though um, and I should have known <laughs> that he wouldn't because it was his birthday and nice things never happen to people on their birthdays, do they?
4: Well he came fifth, so it wasn't too bad um, Yeah, I think uh, Verstappen did very, very well in the opening laps I mean, people say, oh, it's amazing what he was doing but effectively he has the top six cars, top three teams are so far from everyone else it is just, just picking it's like you know, shooting ducks in a barrel she fish in a barrel. She <laughs> so she fish in a barrel. Um, and they'll go, Oh, he's so much better than uh, what Ricardo's here. Well, Ricardo had a little pranger and had ruined his, his wings. Like he hadn't got the same uh, ability to move forward. Um, so, what ended up happening was Max, despite getting a huge amount of TV time, which I'm sure Red Bull were very tough for, actually finished where he thought he would, which was fifth. He just got there a bit quicker and then was in the lead for a bit. And everyone else was managing their tyres. And, you know, he did a really good job, but it wasn't. Stella, you know if lewis had done the same thing or falteria or or um either the Ferrari drivers they go oh so they've got the best car people uh, there's so much you know the the red bull team do send so much useless propaganda about why they're good and why they're bad um that people forget their car is still a country mile ahead of the fourth best team whoever that may be this week Uh, and therefore that's what their drivers are going to be able to do that especially when they have the car trimmed out to be able to overtake so, yes, it was very, very effective work he did. He drove very clean. He made his moves very decisively. But he ended up where we thought he'd end up. And Ricardo ended up sixth because that's how F1 is at the back end of this season. Uh,
2: have we learnt anything more about driver movements for next season? <laughs>
4: Uh, yes, we got a confirmation of the two Haas drivers will stay, the two Haas drivers. So we, we do true. know that Grosjean and Magnussen will stay on. We got a confirmation that Danny Kriat is coming back to Toro Rosso. Um, and those were the only actual announcements, I think. I think nothing else was announced at the weekend.
2: Uh, Renault had uh, their uh, reserve driver testing their car on Friday morning.
4: Mm -hmm. Artem
2: Markalov and later that day his father was
4: arrested it's really weird but apparently he's been arrested, this is a kind of a Russian oligarch has been arrested because on suspicion of bribing a top Russian official
2: Uh, yes Uh, and Valerie Markolov remains in custody tonight in relation to the alleged breach of article 291 section 5 of the Russian criminal code uh, which covers large scale bribery uh, because he's accused of bribing Colonel Dmitry Zakachenko between 2007 and 2016 when Zakachenko uh, worked in the Ministry of Internal Affairs.
4: Right, well, if you're going to bribe someone, at least but bribe them consistently. It's nothing nothing worse than bribing it on, in an off fashion. Uh,
2: how has Valery Marklov made his uh, millions?
4: Uh, railway contracts and uh, something
2: else. Uh, yeah, railway infrastructure.
4: Yes. So, yes, and, you know, I don't want to run a bunch of stereotypes, but, you know, when when the um, the wall fell uh, and Russia broke up, sorry, the Soviet Union broke up, there were no rich individuals in Russia. And then seven years later, there were a number of oligarchs. And we have to assume that was all done legally, wasn't it? Yes. So that's what happened. Midweek Motorsport. This
2: weekend, the Bathurst 1000 kilometres, the highlight of the Australian motorsport calendar. And joining me now from there is a man down under Richard Crail. Good evening, Crailsey or good morning where you are. Yes, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, 58th edition of the race this year. Uh, what is in prospect?
6: Well, that's a very good question. And as always with Bathurst, it's a pretty broad question to ask because it's so famous both in the 1000K edition and the 12 hour and indeed the six hour at Easter for being predictably unpredictable. Uh, And there's no reason to expect why that won't be anything the case. It's been a a hugely competitive year in supercars this season. And it it started for those that haven't followed it with. Uh, the, the DJR team, Penske Falcons, dominant early in the year. Scott McLaughlin, the young Kiwi, raced out to an early championship lead. Um, since been pegged back by Triple Eight Race Engineering and the Red Bull Holden Racing Team. Uh, they won at Tail and Bend at the brand new circuit. They dominated the Sandown 500, the traditional Bathurst warm-up three weeks ago, crushed the field there in a way that we haven't seen domination uh, in, in supercars for many years. It was it was quite startling in the way they, they crushed the field there. But Bathurst is famous for being unpredictable, as I said, and, and this track is so uniquely different to anything else on the calendar, both in supercars and every other category, that it's often hard to predict. But it would be reasonable to go into the weekend as we look ahead to practice today and then um, qualifying tomorrow, the shootout, top 10 shootout on Saturday, and then the race over 161 laps on Sunday that – the the Red Bull cars and the Shell V-Power cars from uh, Penske will be the cars to beat. But uh, as always, the wild cards are likely to f- to feature in the mix as well, which is part of the appeal of this race.
2: Well, you mentioned Triple uh, H's domination of the Sandown 500. Jamie Winkup's won Bathurst four times before. Is mm-hmm. it just a... Uh, it, how likely is he to win number five this weekend with uh, Paul Dunbar, uh, isn't he?
6: Yeah, with Paul Dumbreau, I mean, they're they're not unbackable favourites, but they have to go in as favourites. And the other thing Jamie's got going for him is that he's 400-odd points out of the championship lead, Um, still definitely in contention, but he's driving with the freedom of not having to worry about a points margin. Um, If he wins the race, he gets 300 championship points. He'll still be 100 points out of the lead regardless of what happens to Scott McLaughlin or Shane Van Gisbergen, who now leads the series. So that freedom is going to be a big thing for Jamie. He's won it four times. He's the best touring car driver, in my opinion, in the world and, and certainly the best we've ever seen here. But the other thing is his Bathurst record, as good as it is, three of those victories came with Craig Lowndes, who's obviously the the, the next king of the mountain after the late great Peter Brock. But he's also lost the race on several occasions, most famously in 2014 when he ran out of fuel on the final lap of the race. So his his track record at the place is very good, but there's always going to be an asterisk over it, at least until he wins another one or two, if he can, um, to add to that career. But as you said, the way he dominated Sandown was crushing, absolutely destroyed the field. Paul Dumbrell, his co-driver, is driving better than he ever has They've been together for eight years. They're best mates. They hang out together outside the cockpit. Um, so as a, an endurance racing combination, they're about as good as it gets from a broadly matched um, perspective to, to jump in the car and go fast when when any driver's in the car. So they're strong, but but they're not part of the nature of this race. Tim is that it's not a not a sure thing, and that's part of the joy of the, the Bathurst One Thousand.
2: We mentioned Shane Van Gisbergen there. He has with him another Kiwi this year and someone who is new to the thousand, but not new to the mountain.
6: We're all very excited to see what Earl Bamber can do. And the best thing about Earl Bamber is this... he, Growing up in New Zealand, as he did, he followed this race as closely as anybody in Australia did. So he's got a deep passion for this race. And the Bathurst 1000... For a guy that's won Le Mans, he's won in IMSA racing in the States, he's he's ticked all the boxes already in a, a very young but very successful career. Bathurst has been on his bucket list. So we're all really excited to see what he can do. We know he's going to be unbelievably quick. He was awesome at Sandown in that car. He's got arguably the fastest guy in the field over one lap alongside him in fellow Kiwi, Shane Van Gisbergen. It's a really cool thing. But these cars are so specific to drive that It's probably easier for Earl to have jumped into the GT3 car or the cup car that he raced in the 12-hour over here a couple of times than it is to a supercar, which is such a very specific car to drive, requires a lot of experience to get the most out of. So as a rookie, extremely well-credentialed, but still a rookie and often in the great race, rookies are the ones that get bitten early. Uh,
2: Craig Lounds, Stephen Richards, the most experienced pairing here and uh, a pairing for the last time, I believe.
6: Yeah, this is Craig's final full-time season. We've spoken about that on the show before, that he'll step back into a co-driving role next year. Doesn't really change anything in Craig Lowndes' respect. He's still the best that we've seen at Mount Panorama since Brock. Won the race six times. He's paired up with Stephen Richards, uh, who's won it four times in his own right, once of those with Craig. So, Steve's got his own amazing record alongside CL. Um, The thing is, since Craig announced in Townsville in July this year that he was retiring from full-time driving, he's been racing with a real freedom and just without any pressure, no weight on his shoulders. He's well placed in the championship. He was really fast at Sandown, so too was Steve. They're they're as good a shot as any, and using that advantage, at least on paper, that Triple Eight seemed to have, coming into the weekend, they're looking really strong. You never rule Craig Lowndes out. If the race is in the final 30 laps and that car is in the top five, he is as good a chance of winning as the guy that's in the lead because he's got that X factor that when you need Craig Lowndes to dig deep at Mount Panorama, he does, and it's special to watch, and it remains so even in his final full-time year of driving.
2: It'd be great uh, to see him get one more win after a, a bit of bad luck over the last two races.
6: Yeah, you're right. I, look, I I've actually got them in as my personal favourites for this weekend. I just love the balance of that combination and the enormous amounts of experience. There's some unpredictable weather forecast for Sunday. As I talk to you now, it's raining. So, um, it that that balance and that experience of those two, I really like, and I think where the two Red Bull cars from the Triple Eight can't might strike dramas, they can avoid them. Uh, and I've, I've got them as favourites. So win number seven, certainly. And then keep in mind, he'll probably team up with Jamie Winkup for at least the next two or three years. So he could he could win nine or ten of these things. It's a remarkable record. Uh, last
2: year's winners, David Reynolds, Luke Yaldon. We haven't had back-to-back victories for anyone for a very long time now, have we? So what are their chances of coming back and winning again?
6: Well, I think they're pretty good. And last year was such a shock that, um, we all still look back on that going, on. no one expected excuse me, no one expected that, no one thought it was possible. But what Erebus have done just quietly is transform themselves into week-in, week-out contenders. They don't still quite have that last half a percent that the 888 cars and the, the uh, DJR Team Penske cars have got on raw speed. But Bathurst isn't always run on raw speed. You don't have to have the fastest car to win that race. It helps but you don't have to have it. It's still got that endurance racing mentality about it. So they've got a stable combination. Luke drove the car really well as a co-driver. and a guy that doesn't get many laps during the season proper uh, at Sandown, so he did well. And, and Dave's driving as well as ever. He's won a couple of times this year already. Um, they, they could go back to back. Uh, I would say that there's so many favourites of this race, but it's, everyone's so impressed with what that team has done on a small budget without the massive resource to turn themselves into regular – Contenders by having smart people and really good race car drivers. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting if they unload quickly on Friday uh, in in practice and then into qualifying. I think they'll certainly be contenders.
2: And from what you say, they may be helped as they were last year by some wet weather.
6: Yeah, potentially it was the big ace card for them last year, and their car was unbelievably good in the wet didn't have the car speed in the dry. Um, The the forecast at the moment, as I said, it's it's raining now. Um, Forecast for much of Thursday to rain and then a little bit of rain around on Friday. It's forecast to be clearer across the weekend and about a 30% chance of rain. But for anyone that's followed endurance racing at Mount Panorama, it doesn't matter if it's the 12 or the 1,000, um, it can change on a dime at this place and you can have bright, sunny conditions at 10 a.m. at the start and by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's hailing. So... Uh, the weather always plays a role, part of the part of the fun of Bathurst and the unpredictability of it all. Uh, let's
2: take, uh, talk about the Nissans and uh, um, Rick Kelly. It's been a long time since he won at Bathurst. Uh, he's got a livery that might inspire him to victory, though.
6: Yes, quite a livery that won the race three times. Their major sponsor, Castrol, has jumped on board and... Um, harking back to the great schemes run by the cars that the great Larry Perkins ran uh, to victory in 93, 95 and 97. So a really good retro touch. Uh, Raw speed's the problem for the Nissans. I don't think they've got the outright pace um, that they need to qualify well and just stay out of drama in that opening stint. Uh, And the other question marks over their fuel economy, which has always been a struggle since they came into the championship. Um, Rick was really solid at Sandown in the, uh, the Enduro opener. So they've got um, they've got decent performance. I don't think they're winners. The, the other cars we have to talk about are the the two red Fords and um, Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premat. Scott, 12 months ago at this place, was electrifying, best ever qualifying lap into the 203s, first driver to do so in a supercar. He goes to another level here. And it's remarkable that even in his young career, which has been filled with so much success, he's yet to get on the podium at this place. So he's... He's got two objectives this weekend. One of those is to, to get on the podium for the first time, but he's got a resurrection championship points, having lost the lead now to uh, to Shane Van Gisberg. And so from a, a big picture point of view, this is a big weekend for Scotty. And the last uh, Bathurst uh,
2: race for the Ford Falcon.
6: Yeah, it is, and a big celebration of that. And there's, there's 50 years of history behind that car, at this place and in this race. So it's a, it's a big weekend. The Mustang comes into the sport next year. Uh, We've seen Mustangs in the Bathurst 1000 before 85, 86. And then uh, before that as well, but um, yeah, it's a big celebration. There's a whole bunch of classic Bathurst winning and successful Bathurst forward Mustangs gathered in the paddock. Um, There's going to be a lot of celebrations around it, but at the same time, Ford are very firmly focused on what's coming up and, Even today, they've just released a a teaser image of part of the Mustang supercar that will debut next season. So while they're celebrating their history, which is great to see, uh, they're also looking forward to the Mustang. And there's a huge amount of excitement about Ford's official return as a a manufacturer supporting the sport for next season. It, It sort of reignites that Holden v Ford rivalry that never went away, but with Ford pulling out officially from the sport, it just lost a bit of sting. So it'll be cool to have them back and it'll be good to say goodbye to falcon which is the second most successful model in the history of the great race uh,
2: who else uh, do we need to keep our eyes on obviously 26 cars 52 drivers in this we've uh, we've only touched on a few of them
6: yeah and that's that's the problem is that the field is so broad and so well balanced this year between main and co-drivers that picking picking contenders is very, very difficult. You might as well just drag names out of a hat. And such is the nature of the race. I mean, we saw four years ago in 2014, one of the craziest races we've ever seen, and a Nissan finished second, the four-string Walkinshaw car, Nick Perkett behind the wheel, and that's no discredit to them, finished third on the podium, and Jamie Winkup, who led the race all the way, missed out completely. The guys that won led half a lap the entire day. So it's really difficult to predict and as i said earlier no one thought erebus were going to be able to win this race last year let alone this year and yet they did the job because the conditions worked and they nailed the strategy on the day made the right calls and won it so there's a couple of really good combos uh, garth tander for um gary rogers motorsport is always great here he's got so much experience and garth like i said about craig earlier he's the guy you want in the car to fight for you at the end and if he's anywhere near the top five or six if they can remain in contention you plug the lanky west aussie in and he'll drag the thing towards the front of the field even if it's not fast enough um the other outlier are the the tickford racing falcons who have not been good this year um but they'll always find something special at bathurst and their experience in their driver combinations probably give them an advantage to make up for some of the car speed that they don't have and they can make the right strategic calls over the day, they may well find themselves there. And all you need to do is, um, is to get to that last pit stop at lap 130. If you get there and you're on the lead lap, you're as good a shot as anybody.
2: Yeah, got some big names among those Tickford cars, Mark Winterbottom, Cam Walters, yeah. Chaz Mostert.
6: Yeah, and James Moffat joining that squad. And, and Mostert, Moffat's probably the best all-round squad in that team, I would have thought. Um, so, yeah, like, no-one thought they'd win it in fourteen, did they? So they, uh, they got everything right at the end of the day, which is all you got to do in long-distance racing.
2: Uh, getting it right, back in 1962, uh, the first time Bathurst hosted the Armstrong 500 was Bob Jane, who died at the weekend.
6: Yeah, one of the greats of Australian motorsport, and we say that about a lot of people, but Bob's role in touring car racing in this country is often undersold, and... In the later part of his life, he was dragged through some messy divorces and some business dramas with his sons and their tyre empire that they had a massive chain, still have a massive chain of tyre stores around Australia, Bob Jane um, T-Marts, which is unfortunate because his racing career was extraordinary. Australian Touring Car Champion, winner in the long-distance races, but not only that, raced just about everything. And then when he stopped racing, He was a sponsor. The BMW 635 CSI that finished second in the 1985 race to the all-conquering Walkinshaw Jaguars was sponsored by Bob Jane T-Marts. He sponsored Alan Grice throughout the years. He sponsored Peter Brock and Larry Perkins in a Porsche attack in Le Mans in a Bob Jane T-Mart liveried Porsche. Um, So back the sport. And then his crowning accomplishment was building the Calder Park Thunderdome and a 1.5-mile oval, banked oval for NASCAR racing. And for 15 years, NASCAR racing was quite strong in Australia, thanks to Bob. So um, unfortunately, that venue has been left uh, in tatters as Bob's health uh, declined over the later years, and he fought a battle with cancer towards the end, which ultimately claimed him. But he's a Hall of Famer in the sport over here, one of the most respected figures for his not only his driving prowess, but what he contributed to the sport as a sponsor as a businessman and as a promoter as well. So sadly missed, but well-remembered by the community for his achievements.
2: Yeah, You mentioned as a promoter as well, uh, five times uh, Calder Park hosted uh, a non-Championship Australian Grand Prix, but he attracted all the big names uh, to that race, Alan Jones and Nelson Piquet and Nicky Lauda among the people who raced there and uh, Roberto Moreno who won that race three times.
6: Yeah, and mostly for sort of Formula Atlantic spec cars, but AJ popped up in the FW07 and and won it. And um, yeah, and that drew enormous crowds to call the park, which was his circuit in the, the outlying eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And he made a very big play to bring the Australian Grand Prix there. And ironically, it was Bob who started the conversation with Bernie Eccleston about Australia having a race. It was Adelaide who came in with the vision of having the street circuit that ultimately got it over the line rather than Bob's permanent road course in Victoria. Ultimately, Victoria would end up with the race, but um, Bob's certainly a big part in Australia becoming part of the World Championship and a part that it remains to this day and um, at least contractually is, will continue to do so into the 2020. So big part of that. But those those Grand Prix events were very well fondly remembered by people in the industry here that uh, attended it in the day.
2: Uh, Bob Jane who died at the weekend and we'll have a special tribute to him by repeating a uh, long one interview that we conducted at Calder Park uh, a few years ago. Uh, that's at 1035 here on RS1. Uh, and thank you to Richard Crail.
6: My pleasure. Looking forward to this weekend and uh, looking forward to wrapping it all up in the future.
2: And That music can only mean one thing. We're going to talk about NASCAR, and Declan Brennan joins us. Good evening, Declan.
1: Hello. Don't get me to do this, the, the, the rundown. I'm not prepared. I won't. I, 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 need, <laughs> I need. I need. I need some advance notice of that. It was uh, too exciting. Uh, I'm still getting over. I'm still getting over how exciting the race was that I expected to be an absolute crash fest, which it was. It was. But it was also a uh,
2: but an exciting crash well, fest.
1: Well. It was more a case of uh, what happened with, which are probably the key event, which was the uh, we'll get to in a minute, uh, which was a uh, uh, genuinely did remind me of a of every corporate karting session I've ever been at, but we'll get to that later on. But uh, but yes, uh, the the roval the the thing that everybody has wanted uh, in the NASCAR playoffs since they began, the, there's been a chorus of put a road course in the. In the uh, in the chase, or the, what are now officially the playoffs, and uh, that was uh, answered in, in obviously in classic NASCAR fashion instead of going somewhere uh, that had an ex- uh, obviously an uh, a, uh, established and proven road course, they decided to build one at Charlotte uh, inside the the oval, the the roval, and uh, and it was. Uh, rather interesting to say the least, and produced better racing than I expected it to with more drama.
2: So now, presumably, everyone is calling for every race in the playoffs to be on a road course.
1: Well, I'm sure NBC would because they got a year on year comparison between two events, the two events at the same time in the calendar, both at that track, one on the one and a half mile oval and this one on the roval. Uh, and the Roval fared better. It was a, uh, it was a, uh, interestingly, and I'm only just dawned on me now, one of the reasons it may have fared better, and I have to double check this, is I think the Carolina Panthers weren't playing last Sunday. I think they were on, on a buy, which means that one of the strongest media markets for them, of course, would be would be uh, uh, North Carolina. Yes. Uh, and so uh, there'll be more people to watch. And I need to double check that. But I think the, the, uh, the team from Washington, and uh, uh, I won't refer to them by their name because it's outrageous. And, uh, and the Carolina Panthers, I think, were, were, were on a bye week, which, is, which I'm sure would make a difference. It, it, and it was two two or 300,000 people better than, than the previous year. So, And part of that would have been also the exciting ending. The ending was, uh, you know, it, it, it was in question... Uh, for the last two or three laps and we had uh, the beauty of it and they got what they wanted uh, stock car racing did not so far as I'm, I know we're jumping ahead here but they, they, uh, they got both uh, a compelling story regarding uh, people racing in for points uh, into the top 12 and at the front end they had a compelling story for the race win and then those two things intertwined which we'll get to which uh, in a way that nobody was probably expecting
2: uh, we're down to twelve uh, drivers who can win this now.
1: Yes, yes, uh, and I'm just about to pull them up. And that, that the point was, of course, that that uh, uh, you got to win, and you're in automatically. But but after, after this is the third of the first section, so it was effectively the final uh, race of the of the days. Uh, phase with 16 drivers it was the getting the cutoff down to 12 and uh and what we had was which is fascinating is that jimmy johnson was sitting in second uh without going into the all of the the uh, the genesis of the race but, but we had a, a a late race uh caution with about four laps to go in fact five laps to go and the restart is the bit that was genuinely hilarious uh, insofar as uh, a, a combination of of uh, of guys on cold cold tires that were, hadn't been changed, old tires, uh, uh, I should say, not cold, old tires uh, that weren't changed, and uh, and brakes that on road courses uh, you know traditionally are, are never at their best late in a race, and we effectively had. Uh, nine of the top 20 cars just didn't make the first turn they just understeered understeered straight on it was almost comical it was like it literally was like you know all of the people from accounts going karting uh, for the first time and despite all of the instructions not really understanding what they should have been doing but uh, but that led to a red flag and at the restart we got into this extraordinary position where Jimmy Johnson was sitting in second uh, behind Martin Truex uh, and his car looked seemed to be running very well, and he was quick. Uh, Truex, of course, was already into the next phase. Johnson, at that point, if he'd finished second, was ninth. He didn't have to worry; he could have sat there and uh, crossed the line and won the race. Uh, uh, sorry, and made the uh, made the next phase. But I guess uh, the racer in him came out, and, and at the at the, the final chicane uh, from the banking. Uh, basically, they come off the banking through a chicane and back up onto the banking and go across the finish line. Uh, he decided to to try and go underneath uh, Truex in the seventy eight in 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 the uh, furniture roller and uh, uh, brakes locked. He wheel hopped, he spun, uh, spun through the chicane and actually hit Truex effectively on the other side, uh, knocking both of them out. And handing a maiden victory to Ryan Blaney, uh, which is pretty remarkable, and uh, and in doing so, uh, moved Ryan Blaney into eighth, but moved himself, Jimmy Johnson, I mean, out of the top twelve, which is absolutely remarkable. And and while all this was going on, uh, Eric Almirola was was flying through from about 24th position through the field. And I got to a point where he was picking off driver after driver. And at one point, literally with 150 yards to go effectively in the race, Kyle Larson had moved out of the top 12 because, uh, Amarola had, uh, had made up enough spots. And of course the true X, uh, Jimmy Johnson incident changed the complexion of the top of, of, of the finishing order, and in fact, what happened was both uh, Larson and Alex Bowman, who were effectively both bubble drivers, made it in with Almirola and Chase Elliott. So they are now so uh, basically the, the the bottom twelve or the bottom four places from nine to twelve who are on the bubble are Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Eric Almirola, and Alex Bowman. But it was just an extraordinary. Uh, and afterwards, it, it Jimmy Johnson seemed to be almost in shock. It's like it it, it was in terms of. Of somebody who's won won championships the old way, running the whole time, you know, running for the big mm. picture, uh, to do that in, in, in on a day and on an afternoon when it was completely unnecessary, where he didn't need to win, seems absolutely extraordinary to me. But but he's he's a racer at heart, and he wanted to win. I, I think that's that's what it boils down to.
2: And he joins Austin Dillon, Denny Hamlin, and Eric Jones as the four drivers eliminated. Uh, as we go from 16 to 12. Uh, so you mentioned Bowman, Amarola, Carl Larson and Chase Elliott being uh, in positions ninth to 12th now. Uh, 8th is Ryan Blaney, you also said that. Uh, Kurt Busch is 7th, Joey Lugano 6th, Clint Boyer 5th, Brad Keselowski 4th, Martin Truex 3rd, Kevin Harvick 2nd and Kyle Busch uh, in the lead.
1: And the whole thing, you know... Uh, 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 Gets extremely this this section, of course, now is the section that features if if I'm not mistaken. And I know actually I'm going to have to go and look this up because I'm I pardon me for not remembering uh, every round in order of a 36 race series. So uh, I know they're at Bristol (laughs) uh, at the weekend. uh, And uh, after Bristol, I think. We, we are in the section now, I might be wrong, but I think we're in the section now where we, uh, yes. So we go Bristol, then Talladega. So Talladega, uh, just even from, from this perspective with, with, uh, with just 12 drivers still, you know, is such a wild card. Anything can happen. It could be a case of, uh, of any of the top drivers. If they don't, if they don't get a win... Uh, in Bristol, any of the guys who you'd expect, like a, a Bush or a, or a Harvick, or they could they could be going into Talladega, knowing that their right race could end very early, and put them in a pretty spectacular hole for the for Kansas and Martinsville. And again, Martinsville being the last race of this section, it's a four race section. Martins Martinsville being obviously you know that
2: tight uh, yeah paperclip a- it's a- a, formation.
1: Yeah, the whole thing it's a tight little boring it's it this this i would say produces uh the most variables for it and i'm I'm sure if you're if you're any of the drivers uh any of the of the 12 remaining you've got to be worried you've got to get off to a good start at dover that's that's absolutely massively important because uh things get very crazy then particularly the following week at talladega so so yes yeah, and and i i have to say uh I, it is a been a welcome addition i think the drama it produced and the interest it's produced uh, has been uh, extremely interesting uh, and the the quality of racing i i it was it was probably better than i was expecting uh, i was expecting there there were a lot of cautions but there were there was a nine i believe and a red flag but uh, but uh, it, it wasn't terrible and the the layout in fact uh, probably uh, was better on the cars, a little bit better on tires, better on brakes, uh, and and the crew I thought did a great job. I think I, I actually think uh, uh, from a US perspective, those of us over here in the US uh, are, are 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 witnessing uh, Dale Junior uh, kind of maturing into a pretty pretty good guy in the booth, uh, yeah. I, and and uh, I think he, he's he's very popular in that in that
2: uh, in that role. Uh, I've just checked. There were eight uh, caution periods during the race. Yes. Um, uh, and 10 able- lead changes. 10
1: lead changes, yes. Are we able to chat about uh, the fact that uh, on half the tracks next year, NASCAR is, is uh, basically... Uh, produced a set of rules which means the cars will have uh, only 5 uh, 150 horsepower.
2: Yes, let's talk about uh, next year's proposed rule changes because if it weren't for the fact that the uh, Charlotte Roval produced such an unexpectedly spectacular race, I think that would be the big talking point this week anyway.
1: Yes. Yeah, and 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 this is uh, uh, and for for the IndyCar uh, fans who listen, this is a uh, uh, what they've done is effectively is they've they've created a package that will uh, reduce horsepower and bunch the cars up, uh, uh, and in terms of its combination of downforce and horsepower, that they've used this this uh, company line that which I find fascinating is that that other manufacturers weren't interested in running uh, eight hundred horsepower cars. I would suggest other uh if you'd stop that sentence that other uh manufacturers weren't interested it yes. would have been more. but uh but uh the they believe that they they need to change things if they're going to attract I, I think well I, I would agree with that but i think that changes need to be absolutely enormous and and uh, in all aspects of the sport but uh they tried this at the, at the All Star race this year, and they got effectively they got pack racing on, on the one and a half. So they got they got better racing on the mile and a half. And if you think about where uh, IndyCar has been, uh, especially the IRL uh, in its in its pre-merger days, and then the first few years of the merger, where we basically had one and a half mile cookie cutter tracks produce these incredible pack races, which where you close your eyes most of the time. And, and, you know, and, and like, I know Vegas was a, 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 naturally is the, is the, is the culmination of that to some expect or to some extent. And and the, the tragedy that unfolded there, but, uh, but they're kind of looking to do that, create a formula that, that produces much tighter racing, drafting, passing, repassing, but it's, it's, uh, it's massively reducing horsepower. Uh, you know, a, a, it's a. Uh, it is. Horsepower doesn't
2: equal excitement, though, does it? That's the point. No,
1: no, but there, there's going to be bigger front splitter, which with a two inch overhang, just stuff like that. For, for example, I, I would argue that they don't need splitters at all. Uh, you, you loo- as Denny Hamlin showed a couple of weeks ago. You lose a car on the grass, and you can have an innocuous spin uh, that rips the front of your car off because of the split, you know, because of their splitters. Uh, they're uh, they're increasing the uh, height of the spoiler. Uh, just there's all sorts. Uh, they're uh, they're changing the aerodynamics. They want they want uh, uh, they claim they want to transfer air to the side of the car and take it away from the front tires. And they want to make racing closer. And basically, so between between the horsepower and the downforce, just have people uh, like running in packs uh, to a certain extent and. Uh, if that means basically that, with the amount of one and a half mile tracks that they run on, that we're suddenly going to get that sort of pack racing—not quite uh, the drafting that we get at the super speed race, but we get that sort of pack racing at every mm-hmm. event. It kind of all we're doing is effectively homogenizing it again and uh, and and artificially uh, stymieing uh, progress. So. Uh, Again, it's another way of of, of improving the show. Uh, it, they're they're naturally extremely uh, worried about about how the product looks and in general where where the uh, where the the fans are coming from, where the entertainment is, and uh, and I'll, we'll have to see. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea. I think there, there's there's a, a, a it is once more another uh, element of of moving the deck chairs around on the Titanic. I think if, if, what would be far better uh, to do will be to look at uh, how they can make, uh, racing more exciting, maybe more heats, uh, heat racing, uh, uh, reduce the number of visits to tracks that they go, go to on multiple occasions, uh, you know, ch- change up some formats. And, but we've, uh, but we've got to see they, they they are going to keep things, uh, tightly controlled because that's what they do. And, uh, and next year when, when the audiences drop again, they'll do something else. Uh, so I know that sounds cynical, but, uh, I, it would seems to me like maybe uh, if you're going to go back to a maybe the mandate is if you're going to go to one and a half mile track uh, more than once a year, then you have to do what Charlotte did, and maybe you mandate that the next time they go, they have to do it on a Different roval version
2: of the track. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, the, this uh, aerodynamic package at least was is very similar to what they tried with the All Star race this year, isn't it?
1: That's yeah. That's uh, sorry. I, I, I think, yeah, I think I mentioned that they, they did that at the All Star race, which which the drivers liked. But it was it was it was effectively very tight pack racing, and uh, and and that's what they're going to get. So it, it, they will be artificially, uh, you know, tightening up the field. And I think all they're doing again, and this is, we've said this many times, is this puts this, uh, you know, performance then gets uh, becomes such a, a premium. Every tiny tiny advancement, and all it does is it means that the the big teams with the absolutely enormous budgets, of which there are less and less. Are the ones that are going to stay at the front, so it's going to be Pensky and Gibbs, and Hendrick, and uh, and but mostly Pensky and Gibbs, probably and uh, and and sorry and uh, and Stewart uh, Stewart has Ford. So uh, it's it's a uh, we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure we'll uh, come early next year. We we'll, we we'll, we we'll come back to this and we'll uh, and we can address it once we actually have actually run some races.
2: Uh, at some point, uh, there's going to have to be a whole new design of car. I mean, this is just a minor aerodynamic uh, modification to the current cars, but the next generation cars, which are going to be due in two, three years' time? Yes, yes. This uh, this is basically an experiment for the rule set that they're going to come up with for those cars, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yes, yeah that that's kind of it's, it's almost like a, a to me it's like a it's the, an, an interim uh which means the next gen of cars are going to be uh by definition they may I, i'm wondering if, even if they'll go with a smaller capacity it just it seems to me that 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 there is an opportunity and we've talked about this before is that that there's everybody is clamoring for something that's more stock traditionalists and even and newcomers want like traditionalists want something that's more stock because they harken back to the years when the the, the greatest years of of stock car racing the cars were stock you know a plymouth roadrunner was a plymouth roadrunner uh etc uh and uh there's there's a, a belief now that that also that that these cars now no longer have any relevance there's no Technology transfer, there's no road relevance, and, and again, we've talked, something we've talked about, but, but it, 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 I keep going back to this, but you just look at that uh, Toyota entry design and, and look what it is, and it, it, it just absolutely sums up what's wrong with the sport, is that they're, the, they have this, basically, a, a stock car body with this ludicrous uh, uh, super front end on it. Uh, it's it's insane it just makes no sense it can't can't make any sense to toyota it can't be what they want so uh maybe that we've got to the point where we have to look at uh something maybe even a, an extension of of uh of of gt4 uh to some extent you know uh, those type of cars the mustang uh the look if they really want bmw and, and mercedes and people then 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 build a platform maybe even something that that, that uh, 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 almost off the GT4 platform that's more robust that can run on ovals but but start to go in that direction where you are running effectively a, a stock uh, production-based car uh, and I think that might attract more fans. Uh, it's hard to know but, uh, but I think there's more to it than that. I think we, there's a, a bigger and broader issue, uh, Tim, involving uh, just uh, how a sport that's fan is aging uh, pretty much uh, year on year like and with with ones leaving at the top and not coming in at the bottom it, how we how we address that and, and and that's something that as somebody who works in racing i think about it all the time and we all have to address not just the people uh, 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 at the nascar offices in daytona uh
2: moving away from the cars onto the drivers uh yes we're going to see some big moves next year i've heard uh a few rumours, but what what do you know?
1: I don't. Will you tell me your rumours, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you what well, I know.
2: I've heard about Daniel Suarez, very... really, and that's the only rumour I've heard.
1: Well, he's he's a relatively hot property, so uh, I think that 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 he is he's a, he is currently, if I'm not mistaken, he is a
2: uh, uh, he is part of the.
1: Well, what's your room? What have you before? I what's what's the rumor you've heard?
2: Uh, the rumor I heard was uh, he's currently Joe Gibbs Racing.
1: Yes, he's kind of their junior, as he said, as he he described. He described and we talked about this a few weeks ago. He described him as one of his uh, draft picks. Yes, one of the guys. He's uh, or to quote a lot of he Swires won't be continuing already, in the uh, same
2: car. But he might be in a different car for Joe Gibbs, or he might be with a different team.
1: Well, don't forget that that really one of the linchpins of all of this and, and where, where the, some of the movement will come from is uh, the fact that Gibbs are going to have to find a home for Truex because Truex, uh, as we discussed, no longer has a team come the end of this year because Furniture Row Racing is just is getting out of the business yeah. due to funds. Uh, but, but, as a, but Gibbs have clearly recognized the talent that, uh, that he is and champion of course and they immediately uh, and they are the technical partner uh, of Furniture Row so they they immediately stepped up and said yes he will have a home with us so that obviously means that they're, they're, they've got to make some changes I think there's a, a great deal of uh, belief that Suarez is the future uh, he's a and he is a, obviously clearly quite the talent so uh, uh, and just to prove that it's live uh, they nearly scored and equalised <laughs> but it against- can't but I, I, I can't you were say you distracted.
2: Him. You're watching football at the same time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but just
1: just to prove that it's like. But so so I, there's no doubt they're going to keep him around. But they're also so they, they effectively are in a, this kind of odd conundrum where they, they they can't not bring in the the proven veteran at the top of his game. While but they also now need to work out what they're going to do with the, uh, with the with the with uh, the the raw talent who is the future. Uh, it's a I uh, I so I could see Suarez being farmed somewhere out, uh, 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 you know, uh, into a into a partner team or, or a, uh, but he's certainly not going anywhere. He's too talented.
2: Uh, the other uh, thing that may be connected with this, and I might just be putting two and two together and making five, uh, with Furniture Row not needing that technical alliance anymore, then you have. Uh, The possibility that they might have a technical alliance with another small team, and the one that's been mentioned is Levine Racing.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So, uh,
2: Casey Kane missing yet another race this weekend uh, through uh, his uh, health issues. Uh, Could we see the end of Casey Kane? And could they put Daniel Suarez in that car?
1: Yeah, that would that would that actually, you know, that makes sense for everybody. Because Kane, even without health issues, Kane has just, uh, is without question uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, underachievers uh, of his, or or if not the greatest underachiever of his generation. Had everything, had uh, had the talent, uh, the looks, he was a a marketing man's dream, Uh, he was touted for great, great things you know, got his chance with Hendrick and it just never, ever managed to, to, to make it work the way he ought to have. And, and he is without quite, he's a veteran, clearly a, a veteran now. And, and Suarez is, Suarez is what Casey came was 15 years ago. So that makes perfect sense. And especially if, if in the short term, they've got to find a home for Truex who will absolutely uh, be, you know, continue to be competitive and arguably will be more competitive in that car. Although I'm not sure how, how more competitive he can be than being actual champion. So uh, it's uh, that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, and effectively, if they want to use that technical partnership, you know, almost like a Red Bull used
2: probably also,
1: yeah, yeah, Ferrari used Sauber. So uh, basically, pretending it's a different team. Uh, Effectively, just putting a team with a giant moustache on it.
2: Yeah, uh, have you been following the uh, national series uh, at all? I
1: have not. I, 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 f- I phys- physically don't have the ability. to. Interestingly, I have. I, I have. Uh, the only thing I, I, of note that happened recently is that I, I. I uh, there was a very interesting uh, issue in Vegas where the the promoter of the. Main event turned up on the Saturday to watch the Xfinity event, the sponsor of the main event, mm-hmm. and staggered to see how few people were there. yes and and uh, and, and there weren't that many the,
2: more on the Sunday, were there?
1: No, and Sunday and that, to be honest, Charlotte, I was kind of stunned at, at how, how how empty the stands were uh, for 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 the main event on on Sunday. Like it was a decent crowd, but it wasn't in any way full. Uh, you know, and considering this is for even at least the novelty of the first event, I would have thought that they would have got a a, a, a bigger crowd, and they didn't. It's, it was very surprising.
2: Uh, basically, National Series has its first uh, uh, playoff elimination race this weekend at Dover. Uh, the drivers in danger are Justin Algaier, uh Austin Sindrick, and Ross Chastain.
1: Ross Chastain uh, is... Uh, is found it found a bit of form I know, at the end of the season, and is beginning to get a lot of uh a lot of uh, uh talk about him. Uh, and because I, if if I uh, remember correctly, he is he's part of the Ganassi uh, system, and they have a they have a lot of belief in him. Uh, it's uh, yeah, because they this year now we have a situation where every single uh, series is is in is is now in playoff mode to the yeah. point where we're going to have to get Jim Mora uh playoff hotkey of him saying playoffs <laughs> and, and use that I think. Uh but uh, yeah trucks uh Xfinity series and, and the top series now all run the uh, all run the playoff system and uh, and they're all underway as of as of next week I believe.
2: Yeah. Uh Christopher Bell currently the championship uh, leader uh and the only one who's definitely not in any kind of mathematical danger uh of being eliminated at Dover, uh, Declan, uh, thank you very much for joining us. I'm sure you will be back with us uh, very soon.
1: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, and I look forward to it. I'll, and you will have to get me back on uh, if you want. Uh, for for uh, uh, if you give me a, a little bit of a uh, prep, I can I can do a I, I can do a proper uh, race to the An chase. An actual and a couple of
2: countdown. countdown with
1: Yes, and I can also do one for, the, uh, for British Superbikes as well.
2: Well, British Superbikes are just down to two riders now, so <laughs> it's pr- pretty easy.
1: Oh, well, okay. Well, I'll do two hugely complicated ones for the two. for uh, for Who are the two riders? They're Leon, Leon, Leon Haslam uh, and Jake Dixon. Right, okay. For next week, I'll have... Who I I'll almost have, called uh,
2: Scott Dixon earlier.
1: No, don't do that and uh and we'll uh, yeah I'll produce some absolutely enormous ones from for for both of those too.
2: Uh Declan Brennan, thank you very much. Uh now John Heintoff this week is traveling across America. Uh let's get an update from him.
3: Thanks Tim. Yeah, um good stuff by the way this evening. Uh fantastic stuff. I can listen whilst I'm uh, moving, but obviously not great to be Uh, trying to talk and drive, but I will say we're on hands-free, I'm on hands-free here with Bluetooth uh, listening in on the car Wi-Fi, thanks to Porsche Cars North America uh, for the uh, Panamera Sport Turismo as well Um, Coming after midweek motorsport this evening our second in the hashtag RRVI 2, that's the number 2 PLM reports uh, and uh, we'll earlier in the week we were at uh, Fresno so after the Alvin Springer interview which you heard on Tuesday or you may have downloaded from RadioLemont.com we uh, I jumped in the car at Monterey and drove to Fresno if you didn't hear uh, that particular uh, that particular piece then listen to it because there's some clues there of which route that I took Uh, then Uh, Fresno with uh, C.J. Wilson now C.J. Wilson uh, is a great friend of ours and uh, he has a Porsche and an Audi dealership uh, in Fresno so that's coming up tonight after this show Uh, from Fresno I took a route uh, that took me uh, down to uh, the new home of the Raiders and past the route that I took was past a an aircraft graveyard and um, one of the biggest solar farms I have ever seen. And uh, you'll be able to hear some content from there uh, later on in the week. But tonight, straight after this show, CJ Wilson, worth listening to. Some great stuff from a, a great Porsche enthusiast. And don't forget, listen in, work out the route that we've taken, make... Uh, an educated guess Uh, add all those mileages together and uh, next week when we're at Petit Le for midweek motorsport that's in fact this time next week isn't it of course Uh, then uh, we'll be finding out who is the winner to get your guesses to us you uh, will need to use the hashtag RRVI2 that's the number 2 PLM so that's Rensport Reunion 6 in Roman numerals 2PLM for Petit Le Mans R-R-V-I 2PLM that's the hashtag to at Radio Le Mans probably the best one to get it to Uh, at Specketainment we'll get it as well we'll pick it off from the hashtag to be honest we want your guesses on the mileage that uh, I've covered in this Panamera Sport Turismo Turbo SE Hybrid and we have got well, actually half a bootload of swag from Porsche and from Rennsport. So there'll be a few winners and we've got some goodie bags to give out uh, as well as some fabulous stuff for later on in the year. Right, I'm going to get back to driving because I've got to get a lot of miles under the wheels for my end-of-the-week contributions to the content that we're doing. Uh, and then next week, of course, we will be at uh, Porsche... At uh, 1 Porsche Drive OPD, which is where Porsche Cars North America have their uh, national headquarters, and then we'll pick it up at uh, Motul Patilamon on Wednesday with Midweek Motorsport this time next week. Enjoy the rest of the show uh, and don't forget to stay tuned afterwards for CJ Wilson on our uh, Panamera across America, Panamera Panamerica trip. Hashtag R-R-V-I-2-P-L-M. That's all coming after Midweek Motorsport tonight. Back to you, Tim.
2: Thank you, John. Uh, And uh, remember, after John's uh, latest road trip uh, exploits in Fresno, we'll also be repeating uh, Tyler's long one with Bob Jane that uh, we did a few years ago. Uh, as tribute to Bob, who uh, died at the weekend. That's going to be at 10.35 UK time. Uh, one thing we completely forgot uh, to talk about earlier on when we are doing British Superbike news is uh, British Superbike calendar news. Uh, that was announced uh, the weekend in Assen. And uh, some changes to that, including a start at Silverstone. Uh, that'll be the 19th to 21st of April. Then we're off to Alton Park, Donnington Park, Brands Hatch, Knockhill, Snetterton, Thruxton, Cadwell Park, Alton Park again. Uh, then Assen becomes the first of their playoff races, rather than the second. Uh, Donnington Park is the penultimate round, and they end as they always do at Brands Hatch. Uh, Very pleased to say that Johnny Palmer is uh, joining me now. Good evening, Johnny. Good evening, Tim. You're very quiet. Try that again.
0: Good evening, Tim.
5: Good
2: Uh, evening, Tim. I think you need to get closer to that microphone. I am
0: struggling to get
2: any closer to it. Uh, It's not the headset, it's the microphone that was in front of you. Uh,
0: There is no microphone here. That I can see. Ah, that one.
2: Okay. What about that? That works. Good. Okay.
0: I am so glad we rehearsed this beforehand.
2: (laughs) Uh, What are you up to this weekend, Johnny?
0: I am covering a VLN race, Tim. With well, uh, not actually sure who it is. I think it might be Paul Truswell now. If not, it'll be Bruce Jones. And we're back to the standard length of races, uh, of course, so four-hour races till the end of the season. There are two more to go, Uh, one this Saturday, which is a midday start in Germany, so 11 o'clock in the UK through till uh, 4 p.m., and there is then one in two weeks' time to complete the season. And we've got a rather interesting car, I believe, racing this weekend, not the VLN, because it's the debut of the brand-new Aston Martin Vantage GT3 car, not yet homologated, so it can't run in the SP9 category, so it's going to be an SPX car, very similar to the uh, GT3 Porsche that was raced by Manti earlier on in this, well, it was raced by Herbert Motorsport, I think, um, under the sort of, um, in the Grello colours, and similarly, we've got a brand new car that will be infiltrating GT3 from 2019, but it'll be fun to see how it gets on in that subclass this weekend on the Nordschleifer.
2: Also announced this week, uh, a Super GT, GT300 car will be racing at the Nürburgring 24 hours uh, next year.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. Um, I just wonder whether that's a, a prelude to getting people interested in those cars uh, with DTM and the fact that the, the two types of cars from Japan and Germany will be eligible to run in the championship next year, although there's going to be some sort of balance of performance, I seem to understand, for DTM 2019 and then in 2020 there'll be identical cars, is how I read it um, so, yeah did you, did, I think Tom Coronel is going to race that car? Uh,
2: Tom Coronel uh, one of the drivers, it's going to be run by the Kondo uh, team Masahiko Kondo's uh, team and uh, 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 Tom Coronel will be joined by three Uh, Japanese uh, drivers and off the top of my head I can't remember who they are I want to talk about uh, World Rally Championship uh, briefly I know that Nick Damon hates it so we did talk about it earlier (laughs) with him Uh, and I don't expect you're much of a fan are you Johnny
0: I like the World Rally Championship yeah Ah, I've been to watch it in the past in Uh, Wales
2: On Friday uh, it was announced that Sebastian Ogier Uh, would be returning to Citroën next season. Uh, And at the weekend, I got the chance to talk to uh, the voice of the World Rally Championship, Paul King, about this. And he said uh, it's not really much of a surprise because Citroën want to win and they're going to throw lots of money at him. Uh, So, uh, Ogier and uh, Julien Igracier will be racing for the Citroën Total Abu Dhabi World Rally team next season. Uh, at the moment uh, both with M Sport until the end of the season OJ said I'm very enthusiastic about tackling this new challenge with Citroen I'm looking forward to it I never forget they're the team who gave me the opportunity to access the world championship in the first place
0: Fair enough well I think he did, he needs to change teams in all honesty because uh, it's been a difficult season this year only two victories and the last of those came uh, at the Tour de Course which was Well, way back in, was it March or April? So, I mean, since then, Tanak is on an absolute roll at the moment. Four in a row. Well, it could be four in a
2: row. If he wins. If he wins in Wales Rally GB. That that car is well suited to Wales Rally GB, but uh, uh, as I said, I was talking to Paul King. He reckons Ogier will win in Wales. So that's where you should put your money. You
0: heard it here first.
2: And that is all we have time for this week. Uh, a big thank you to all of my guests, Declan Brennan, Nick Damon, uh, Kerry Cobb, Johnny Palmer, Richard Crail, and the very brief uh, contributions that we had from uh, John Hindhoff. Uh We will be back live from Road Atlanta with Midwick Motorsports next Wednesday. Uh, and don't forget, there is a lot of special programming uh, coming up between now and then. Uh, Hindy's American road trip continues every night uh this week. Uh so tonight it follows this programme and for the tomorrow, Thursday and Friday it will be at eight PM. Uh after that tonight we have our Tyler's Long One with Bob Jane. That's at ten thirty five tonight. Uh, over the weekend live VLN on Saturday morning starts at ten fifteen UK time Uh, And next Tuesday, we have the latest highlights from the Australian Prototype Championship or Australian Prototype Series. That's at 10pm over on RS1. Uh, All of those programmes, in fact, on RS1, apart from the VLN, which is on RS3 on Saturday. Uh, Thank you once again to all the contributors we've had tonight Uh, from uh, me, Tim Gray. It's a very good night.